He survived the brutality of four concentration camps and the loss of nearly all of his nearest and dearest at the hands of the Nazis. Like thousands of fellow prisoners, he used his shoes for pillows, shared two blankets with nine other prisoners in sub-zero temperatures, and saw many other inmates despair and take their own lives. That man was a Jewish psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, whose book, Man's Search for Meaning, went on to sell 12 million copies after the Second World War. In his book, he says that life inside Auschwitz and the other camps tore open the human soul and exposed its depths. My name's Mark Dowd, and on this edition of Things Unseen, we examine the life and work of Viktor Frankl and his central belief that the overriding driving force in human behaviour is not the search for pleasure or power, but for meaning, even in the face of near-spirit crushing suffering. Now, all this might make you think that Frankl was a rather sombre and over-serious individual, but listen to these words from his grandson, Alex Vesely. One of the things that always stand out to me is how funny he was. He was a really funny guy. And that's something that most people don't expect to hear. The great humor that he had, the playful and, I would say, childlike side which was the other side to that of a great and deep thinker, which he also was. And um, it came as a surprise to me when I read his books. I was a teenager when I read his work for the first time. And I thought, how can it be the same guy that I know who's always funny and happy and kind of entertaining when you were around him? Until I realized that that was the very resource that kept him going through those difficult years, or one of the resources, I should say. Viktor Frankl gave birth to a new school of psychotherapy, logotherapy, which aims to assist clients uncover meaning and purpose in their lives. He had huge success in his own life, treating, it's claimed, up to 30,000 suicidal women in his native Austria. But is he right to say that the quest for meaning is the driving motor of human existence? What's more, does his approach have relevance for us in the 21st century or not? Joining me to examine all this are Justine Alain Chapman, the Archdeacon of Boston in the Diocese of Lincoln, Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg, Rabbi of the New North London Synagogue, and on the line from Dublin, Francesca Giraldo, a mental health worker and a student of Frankel's discipline of logotherapy. Rabbi Jonathan, you've read this seminal book of Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And he describes these experiences. Can you give us one instance from his story that particularly stands out for you? Well, he describes how he's seen people walking amidst their huts and that even then they had choices. You saw people, he says, giving away their last piece of bread to comfort others. And he goes on to say that everything can be taken from a person except the last of freedoms, the freedom to choose our response in any given set of circumstances. And that freedom links with responsibility and leads to a profound sense of being able to make meaning, really out of whatever fate may throw before a person. So in that sense, there's an inner space where the Nazis and the oppressor just can't get you, and that's what you must hold on to. Indeed. Justine, Viktor Frankl's hardly a household name, so how did you first come across him, and what relevance did you see in him for your own pastoral work in the church? I particularly came across him when I was looking at the topic of resilience. 
I'd noticed, as every pastor does, that some people come through adversity well. They're resilient, they're strengthened by it, and some people don't. And I wanted to know what was it that enabled people to be strengthened by the difficult circumstances of their lives. So this book was presented to me as a classic resilience text, and it was one of the things that I used for my own research. And its messages are ones that I drew from and see as echoing any human being's desire to get through and get through well any kind of bereavement, loss, difficult diagnosis that they might encounter. So really it's, it's almost like a manual for handling adversity and for getting through the other side of that experience. Yes, it draws you to the, I'm going to say obvious because I've studied it a lot now, the obvious themes about a sense of self-worth, of an inner dignity of a human being, the sense of needing to recognise adversity as being a different territory, a different landscape that you enter. Viktor Frankl talks about striking out his previous life and having to attend to what is now and also to recognise that one's relationships are very important in adversity. For him, most classically in the text, the image of his wife. And Francesca, you've made this very interesting career decision to train to become a logotherapist, so you must have been inspired hugely by Frankl's work. What, What in general terms was the real key element of his message that made you take this decision? Well, it was really the book that was given to me by a colleague, Man's Search for Meaning. And it's written in two parts. The first part is the account of the camps and his survival and liberation. And the second part is about his logotherapy. So in a way, it's those two parts that have influenced me the most. About his survival, it's, I suppose, the message that regardless of circumstances, we have a free will to see meaning in all we encounter. And also that life is meaningful at any moment. So if the going gets tough, there is still meaning to be discovered. And the other part is his view of a human being. He says a person exists in three levels. One is the body or the physical dimension. The other is the psychological dimension. And then the spirit dimension, which Frankl calls a part that is essential to the human being. Things as freedom of choice, intentionality, ethics, love, intuition, and of course, the search for meaning. So the search for meaning is about that spirit dimension. So the reason why I'm studying to become a logotherapist is because Frankl's logotherapy is a timeless approach and will always have its relevance. The will to meaning and the defined power of the human spirit are questions that truly matter for all of us and are as important to each new generation that follows. Let me go uh, back to Jonathan because we've heard that Frankl himself went through enormous trauma, the deprivation, the forced labour, the loss of all of his friends in the camp than learning that his wife and parents and family members had been killed. And yet he turned this experience into something overwhelmingly positive. I mean, how common is that for a, for a Holocaust survivor? I, mean, I think it is extraordinary and it is remarkable, but I've also met a number of Holocaust survivors who've been able to use their experience to summon the depths of the human spirit and their creativity. I think of Roman Holter, who was also taken from Auschwitz as a slave labourer, except to Dresden. And he said, as a slave labourer, looking at that beautiful architecture before the bombing of Dresden, it inspired him to want to survive and become an architect, which he did. But one of the other, perhaps in my eyes, the greatest writer of testament to the Holocaust, Primo Levi, notes in his preface to The Drowned and the Saved 
that one has to be cautious about thinking that it was the best who survived, that actually it was a lottery, that many people had no chance. So one has to resist the idea that people gave up the will to live because they didn't have that inner search or capacity to find meaning because many people had no such choice. But Frankel summons that, and he based himself not on the sense that there is always meaning out there, but that there is always the capacity to find meaning in there. Meaning is generated from within, through one's responsibility, and he takes this beyond the world of the camps, out into life, and says one finds happiness, purpose, meaning, through service of a greater goal. And in that sense without being overtly religious, it's also profoundly religious. But there's a deep sense of service and responsibility. I suppose in his case, he went into those camps with the manuscript of a book which was seized from him. So he had this goal of wanting to triumph over this and publish this book eventually. That was one goal, if you like. But the other one was this hope that he would be at one point reunited with his wife. And of course, that didn't come about. But in a sense... Isn't it easier for someone with those goals? What happens if you're on a camp like this and you don't have a wife and relatives and you don't have a manuscript that you want to publish? How do you create meaning in a situation like that? Of those two goals, just by the way, I think the thought of his wife was the more profoundly sustaining because he also said he had to try to forget the person he had been before the camps. And I sense that... He wrote Man's Search for Meaning, he describes in his autobiography, in the days after, literally in the days and weeks after his release back in Vienna, that it also transformed him in many ways. But I think people tried to cling to the memory of those they loved. And I think you're right that to be utterly alone and faced with horror is a much more difficult proposition. And back to his central concept of meaning, Justine is... Frankel's understanding of this terms some sort of off-the-shelf formula that can be applied to everybody or is it a very individualistic narrative that every individual person has got to be encouraged to find for themselves? I think the contemporary debate about the spiritual is about making meaning for people and the debate about the spiritual which we will find in our hospitals and hospices is about saying what is of worth and what is valuable to people. And so there is an extent to which it's very individual. There's another extent to which the great themes of human life, love, creativity, art, all those things, are what present to us as the reason why we live. So there's both our own story and a bigger human story. And I think what I love, we have Man's Search for Meaning as the title in the English version, but the 1946 version is nevertheless say yes to life. And there's something for me about the depth of that, saying yes to each day, yes to life as a whole, yes to the experience you're within. And he talks about there being one answer to the situation you're in, and that answer might be an action it might be contemplation, and it might be enduring the suffering of the moment. So there's the yes, the detailed yes for every moment that you have to discover and find. Francesca, saying yes to life, I suppose some people could interpret as meaning just positive thinking. But, I mean, is there something in all this which is much more profound and different from what's called positive thinking in Frankel's work? I think what he means is to say yes to everything that life is asking of you. He says, it doesn't matter what we expect from life. 
It's rather what life expects from us and just to answer these questions by living. And if it has to be suffering, then to endure it. One of the key assumptions of logotherapy is self-transcendence, which is going beyond oneself and one's own needs to be of service to others. And I suppose that is something that consoles me in difficult times, to know that there is a meaning and there's great power in helping others. What about someone who's just supremely depressed, who can't see any scope for meaning or purpose in life, who really doesn't even have the energy to get up and get out through that door? How does this particular approach become something that's valuable for them? I do work with people who suffer from mental health problems such as depression and it's extremely hard to understand or to find meaning while experiencing so much suffering. There is a great risk of giving into despair. People with depression tend to experience intense negative emotions and thoughts which can distort their sense of their self and the world. In suffering, the challenge and also the key is a person's attitude to change their attitude towards their suffering by looking beyond the misery of the situation and instead to the potential of discovering meaning behind it. If a depressed person can manage this, then they have begun to turn an apparent meaningless suffering into a genuine human achievement. And if you wish, I do have a little example from one of Frankel's books to give a case study from his practice. Yeah, please um, share that with us. He writes, Once an elderly general practitioner consulted me because of his severe depression. He could not overcome the loss of his wife, who had died two years before and whom he had loved above all else. Now how could I help him? What should I tell him? Well, I refrained from telling him anything, but instead confronted him with the question, What would have happened, doctor, if you had died first and your wife would have had to survive you? Oh, he said, for her this would have been terrible, how she would have suffered. Whereupon I replied, you see, doctor, such a suffering has been spared her, and it is you who have spared her the suffering, but now you have to pay for it by surviving and mourning her. He said no word but shook my hand and calmly left my office. Suffering ceases to be suffering in some way at the moment it finds a meaning such as a meaning for a sacrifice. He had a way with people and it's mostly about listening. It's not about giving a message. It's about drawing it out in a dialogue. Um, Rabbi Jonathan, how well known is Victor Frankl in the Jewish community today, particularly amongst younger members of the Jewish communities? Is he a household name or is he barely known at all? I think he's quite well known. I'm not sure that I would say household name, but the book Man's Search for Meaning is widely read and those moments of great depth in it are frequently referred to. They have extraordinary power to move us and to speak to us today. It's interesting to point out that Viktor Frankl passed away on the 2nd of September 1997, aged 92, and that would have attracted publicity. But it was overshadowed in the media because a more prominent person had died only two days prior. So it drowned in the news media about Princess Diana's passing. I suppose one of the things that comes to my mind, if you look at the kind of ills, Justine, in, in the present society today, we have, you know, what seems to be kind of random violence, religious extremism, reports of people going off to join Islamic State. Can all of these be construed in a peculiar way, but understandable way, as people's quest to create meaning in their life, to fill a gap? 
You could argue that, yes, I think it is. But I don't think it's the kind of meaning that Frank Hull is talking about. He's talking about meaning with a moral direction, which is about compassion um, and is about going beyond oneself. But there's a profound sense of connection which can be used for good and for bad. And I think the appeal of organisations like ISIS is they confer a very strong sense of identity and belonging. And it may be that we're not succeeding as a society in enabling people to have that sense of service of something greater than oneself within the way we are living today. And connection on a personal level, on a spiritual level leads to a deeper sense of meaning. We're very fortunate to have actually some sound extracts and archives of Viktor Frankl sharing his own thoughts on some of these Mm. themes, and there's one in particular where he talks about violence, so let's just hear what Frankl himself had to say about why he thinks people turn to violence. When there is a feeling of meaninglessness, people do meaningless things. They resort to crime, to violence, because the will to power exaggerated, you see, lived out without restraint in violence. The will to power as well as the will to pleasure are substitutes for the frustrated will to meaning. The will to meaning, one search for meaning, is the original concern. And only a man who has been frustrated in this basic will to meaning then resorts either to power seeking or to pleasure seeking. And the crudest, most brutal form of power-seeking, of living out one's search for power, is violence. It's brilliant. It reminds me, because his grandson was talking about his humour, and one of his lectures to an American audience, he says, I know I'm speaking perfect accent with no English. I think that's just fantastic. But it leaves, I think, not just a responsibility on the individual and those who try to help a person discover the way in which they themselves will find meaning. But it's also a social question as to how we enable people to find service and purpose. Yeah. Francesca, as someone training to follow in Frankel's footsteps, as it were, as a logotherapist, I wonder whether this whole notion of creating meaning is, to a certain extent, countercultural, because a lot of people are looking rightly or wrongly, for a sort of quick fix to fill a gap or a vacuum in their lives, whether it's fame, whether it's professional success, whether it's money or just fun. And in a sense, who are we to say to those people that's wrong? And why wouldn't want people those things, fame and fun and beauty and money? I mean, there's nothing wrong with these per se. Mm -hmm. The big question and what matters most is how these means are used. It's all about responsibleness, and that puts the real value to it. There are well-known people who lent their fame to worthy causes. There are rich people who do great things with their money. Beauty is inspiring. Naturally, people appreciate it. On the other hand, there is also plenty of people who have all the things mentioned and they feel they have no meaning in their lives, they feel depressed, they take drugs to make them feel like they have reasons to be happy. There are successful people, wealthy people who seemingly have it all and yet they take their own lives because they see no meaning in it. Frankel speaks about this when he talks about success and happiness being byproducts of one's own dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Which is a very good bridge to listening to Frankel's own thoughts on pleasure-seeking and hedonism, and we'll come back to look at the whole question of the role of pursuit of happiness and whether that in school in itself or, as you say, just a byproduct. But here's Frankel in his own words. Pleasure-seeking, the so-called pursuit of happiness, is not only contradicting one's 
primary will to meaning, but even more, it proves to be self-defeating. It is the very pursuit of pleasure, of happiness, that thwarts happiness, because happiness occurs as a byproduct, as a side effect of finding and fulfilling a meaning or loving another being, another human being. I have to say that all the people I've come across who are happy and satisfied with their portion are so because they feel they are serving others, serving life, serving beauty, serving what's worthwhile, not because they are in pursuit of happiness. And I think Rankel is absolutely right in what he says. Yeah. And Francesca, do you have any thoughts on that particular theme when he says that, you know, if you pursue happiness, the chances are you're probably not going to end up being happy? It will evade you if you chase it. It's by right living that you get happy. It's a side effect by right living. So it's a consequence of living virtuously. And meaningfully. Meaningfully, yeah. I suppose one reason why logotherapy might not be so well known in the modern world is that a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, might construe Frankel's approach as being essentially religious. And we'll get on to that in a minute. But I just want to hear Frankel talking about his own views on religion and his own particular take on that subject. If we define a human being as a being in steady search for meaning, here is the very place where religion comes in, inasmuch as man, or say a large essential part of the human population, strive also for something one might call an, an ultimate meaning. A religious uh, individual is not satisfied just with finding a meaning, a meaningful task to, to complete. But he goes or she goes a step forward by also including the awareness of a task giver, as it were. This is divinity. So there is a new dimension religious personalities enter by striving for something they may experience and be perceptive of in terms of an ultimate meaning, not just meaning, but an ultimate meaning. Francesca, is logotherapy too religious for this day and age, or is it religious at all? No, not at all. It's a, a type of psychotherapy and an analysis. It's not a belief system in any way. It focuses on personal meaning, philosophy and psychology. So it's working with a person in therapy and draw out what is meaningful to them. Now, if they are religious, that can be incorporated into the therapy, no doubt about it. But it would be all inclusive. So nobody is excluded because of a certain belief system. So no, it's not religious. So basically it can work either within a faith framework or outside of a faith framework as well. It's flexible. Absolutely, yeah. because you are guided by the person's belief system and whatever they consider meaningful. I mightn't agree with it, but as a therapist, that's irrelevant. But I suppose, Justine, a question to you. If you're working with people trying to get through adversity, the fact that you have a narrative in faith about a man who 2,000 years ago triumphed over adversity and triumphed over suffering, that's a huge resource if someone shares that. And if someone doesn't have that faith it must alter the way in which you approach this particular quest for meaning. 
Yes, I think so. In fact, Viktor Frankl several times in this text talks about taking up his cross, which I find in, you know interesting. But yes, we've been talking a bit earlier about those who might feel that they are not loved or not worthwhile or totally alone. A religious faith or being accompanied by somebody of religious faith means that one can appeal to that sense that they are of dignity, that they are of worth, that they are loved by God, that there is a greater vision and purpose that a person suffering can be carried by for a time. It doesn't all depend on their own sense of having to to carve out a meaning now. They can be carried by the faith of a religious community. Jonathan, Frankel never made a great deal out of his Judaism, at least not publicly, but we do know that he underwent a second bar mitzvah when he was in his 80s. He said Kaddish, the life-affirming Jewish prayer, which is used for when someone has died, every day after his liberation from Dachau. So for you as a rabbi, is there any regret that Frankel didn't actually put his teachings on a more explicitly Jewish footing? No, I find it, Man's Search for Meaning, a profoundly moving book on a human and spiritual level. And I'd like to draw attention to a scene which I think is the heart of the book. It's when he comes across a girl who's delirious and he has no drugs with which to help her and he sees sort of seem to be talking to herself and he asks her and she says, well, you know, I'm, I'm talking to this tree I can see. And he, to humour her, he says, well, does the tree answer? And she says, yes, says the girl, the tree answers. So to humour her father, he says, what's the tree say? And the tree says, I am life, eternal life. And the girl said, well, I was rather spoilt in my previous existence. I didn't think about spiritual things, but that's different now. And that moment, you know, I am life, eternal life. To a person who, who, who doesn't believe in the transcendent God, it's the transcendence of life itself. But it's a profound collective sense of something greater than the self, which that girl finds comforting in her moment of suffering, which speaks to me as the very heart of this book. But some Jews, didn't they, said that with his work, the fact that he'd made something so positive out of this terrible negative, in a sense, could be interpreted as almost letting the Nazis off, that we might run the risk of losing our focus on the horrors and the terror of what they produced, and that it might actually endanger the task of keeping the memory of Holocaust alive. Is, is that a valid comment or not? I've never heard it said, and I think, no, it's not a particularly helpful comment. There are many aspects to remembering the Holocaust, the Nazi Holocaust, and also other atrocities that have happened. One of the most profound is about spiritual resistance. And there were people who showed great spiritual resistance and died. There are many who left no testimony, we don't even know who they are, but some left testimony and perished. Others survived and went on like Frankel to help thousands of people. And then there's the focus, and he doesn't really address that, so he doesn't negate it on the meaning of being a perpetrator and the meaning of evil. Now, he doesn't explore those areas. He takes the positive out of it, but that doesn't mean he negates the importance of also reflecting on evil and how it comes about. For each of the three of you, just before we end, I'd like you just very, very briefly, uh, as a sort of desert island disc sort of Frankel moment, is there a thought or a quote or a scene or a memory of reading this book or something about his life that for you, Justine, really stays with you, that inspires you? 
For me, it's where he describes the physically strong men as not lasting as long, not surviving as long as those who have a rich inner life. For me, I find that enormously inspiring in terms of the depth of spiritual, intellectual, creative, artistic life, what it means to be human, and that is what is sustaining. And Jonathan? I think it's the place where he says that one can take from a person every freedom except the ultimate freedom to choose one's response in any given set of circumstances. And I think that's, that's deeply liberating, but it's also profoundly challenging. And final words for you, Francesca. The quote I chose was, our greatest freedom is the freedom to choose our attitude. And with that, it's time to draw this discussion about the life and works of Viktor Frankl to a close. It's my honour to extend a huge thanks to the venerable Dr Justine Alain Chapman, the Archdeacon of Boston, budding logotherapist Francesca Giraldo, and also Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg, all of you for enlightening us today on this edition of Things Unseen. As a small postscript, it's perhaps a testimony to the lasting interest and fascination with Frankel that at the end of March this year, a new museum based on the site of his old apartment was opened in Vienna. The new centre is expecting up to 10,000 visitors a year, individuals who are all keen to know more about his work and what has now come to be known as the third Viennese school of psychotherapy. My name is Mark Dowd, bringing to a close this edition of Things Unseen, the programme for those of you who think there's more to life than the purely material. Things Unseen is a CTVC production. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.